Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, with us today, uh, a, a popular and uh, I don't want to say omnipresent, but I mean, you you kind of you provide the expertise around the whole subject of estate planning that we do. And Nina Windsor is with Tucker Allen. She's a partner with Tucker Allen. And and so she's a senior attorney there, and she's responsible for a lot of uh, of the more complicated estate planning that we do at Tucker Allen. She's an authority in the field. And so we turn to her uh, whenever we want some suggestions. I started to say use the word advice. She's our go-to person. She's our go-to person, but we can't use the word advice. Um, it has to do an ethical thing. We can't give you an advice unless you're actually a client. So um, we'll, we'll keep that in mind, though, as we talk about ideas. These are things that you don't implement yourself, but but you can certainly come to Tucker Allen. That's what that's all Tucker Allen does is estate planning matters. But if not Tucker Allen, then you go to another estate planning attorney. But these are not things that you should try to implement yourself. So we're going to pick up with where we left off last show. This is a will turn out to be a three part series, right? Yes. So this will be the third and final part, and we're listing the things that can go wrong when you do estate planning. Um, there are certain things that are just notoriously common. And it's really, I'll use the word tragic. It's really tragic often uh, that these things happen because they didn't need to happen. This is not uh, circumstances where people didn't do estate planning. I mean, these are cases where people at least start the estate planning, but, but there are some things that cause these plans to commonly fail. And we're trying to call your attention to that list of items that will cause these things to fail. And we think there's going to be seven items on this list. Seven or eight. Is yeah. that where we're going to end mm-hmm. up? Seven or eight. So, Nina, let's pick up with the next item on our list. So, our next item is not necessarily something that causes the estate to fail. Your documents will still operate the way that you have put them together. But it can cause a lot of conflict amongst family members if you neglect to follow this particular step, depending on what is in your documents. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. When you have provisions in your estate plan that your family may find unusual, controversial, infuriating... Surprising. Surprising. It may be best for you to communicate those provisions ahead of time. It also is an opportunity for you to be careful and just remember that someone is going to be reading these later uh, for a trust, depending on the state that you're in. 
the beneficiaries of a trust will receive a copy of that trust within a certain number of days after your passing. So they don't just get a check or a lack of a check. They'll get a copy of the document. And so when you are dealing with an estate attorney, you have an opportunity to not only provide direction for where your assets are going to go, but explanation to your beneficiaries as to exactly how and why. But if they find out after you've passed, you really missed an opportunity uh, to clarify and prevent confusion later on. Um, And some examples of this can have to do with uh, giving a portion of your estate to charity, um, giving a percentage that is different amongst your beneficiaries, particularly if they're all your children. Yeah, that's common. So you want to spell that out and offer an explanation as to why. Sometimes your explanation may be nice and helpful, and sometimes your explanation may be very pointed. But regardless of what it is, if you're going to be vague in your documents, you should definitely avoid being vague before someone sees those documents. You need to communicate with your family members or other beneficiaries, if the beneficiaries are not your family members, about how you set them up. Yeah, and and this, this makes our list because a lot of litigation results simply because there wasn't this, I'll call it an unpleasant conversation. It doesn't have to be unpleasant, but I think that that whether it's our client or some other attorney's client, I think when they, they do this estate planning, they make some decisions that they just don't want to talk about with their kids. Maybe it, it it's that they chose one child who might be the younger child to be a trustee. Absolutely. Rather than the, uh, everybody seems to think the oldest child's supposed to do it. I often, I used to run into that a lot. Do you still see that? Yes, I do. And when people are having a hard time discussing um, what they want and who they're going to pick, so as though they haven't talked about it at all before they come into the office, like this is a surprise to them as well. But when they start thinking about it, they go, okay, well, what do people normally do? And so I ask, okay, with with your oldest child, what do they do for a living? Are they good with paperwork? Are they good with communicating information to other people? And a lot of times they'll say, well, they're just as good as, you know, any of the other kids, you know, it'll be fine. Sometimes one of the parents will pipe up and say, well, that's actually, you know, so-and-so sometimes a girl, but she's in school for this, or she is a CPA, or he's a CPA. And so you find out out of the those children, and that's a really good um, opportunity to also contrast who you've named for healthcare matters, because as we've discussed, it's not necessarily the same person who's going to be first sure. up good in a crisis, maybe has a medical background, um, and that person should be first regardless of who's oldest. And I can imagine Mm -hmm. why parents want to avoid these conversations because they don't want the confrontation with their kids, you know? Yeah, and it could be. I mean, it's not always a a confrontation, but it might be. But there are circumstances where it's just essential. And we've even talked on this show about some high-profile cases where and this most recent one, I don't recall the name of the company. It was the textbook publisher. Oh, Scholastic. Scholastic. Yes. Yeah. He had named his um, paramour, I'll say. Yeah, long time. Um, this person that he had been with for a number of years. Uh, he didn't prepare his children for the fact that he was really 
writing them out of involvement, as I recall, it's been a while since we talked about this, but writing them out of involvement right. in the business, um, he had good reasons for that. And and fortunately, there's some records to support that. And that's probably, I don't know what came the litigation. I thought that they had settled it, but but this is a good illustration of could that litigation have been avoided? And I, you don't know, but I would say at least 50% of the cases mm-hmm. in which that occurs, at least 50%, it can be headed off. Because often, incidentally, in defense of the family members who are surprised by this announcement, I'm giving all my things to, or I'm giving 50% of my estate to to a first cousin or somebody else that they've known and respected in the family, but everyone else is taken completely by surprise. So they think there has to be some skullduggery that's occurred. <laughs> They're thinking undue influence, right? Right. Or fraud. Right. And if, if dad had or mom had sat down with them, maybe at a less than happy Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> one year, but had said to them, look, this is what I'm going to do and these are the reasons I'm doing it, they could have confronted her then and said, but mom, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, and, and and that's the chance to set aside the idea that there's undue influence or fraud. Now, they may still be mad at mom. Uh, you yeah, know. sure. They might not come the next Thanksgiving dinner. Sure. But, <laughs> but, but you make a very, very good point. As far as litigation, it is essential yes. to head it off by making sure that the circumstances that surround your estate plan, we talked about who you're bringing to the meeting. That was a very good point that you brought up as well. Making sure that the circumstances around the signing and that initial meeting where you're deciding what's going to be in your documents is all above reproach. And then if those things are buttoned up well, in addition to the documents being consistent with what you've told your family you know, and and the, everything hasn't been changed at the last minute. All of those things are in place. There really isn't a good reason to put out all of that money because it is expensive to engage in that trust litigation um, mm. to try to prove that the documents really weren't executed properly and that yeah. wasn't your intent. Yeah, or that or that dad or mom has been manipulated in some mm-hmm. way by somebody. That allegation can be headed off typically if mom or dad has a conversation with the kids. There's time to clear things up then versus when they find out for the first time something unexpected's happening to mom or dad's estate. And this is different from the point that we were making earlier on this list where it's important that we position ourselves that in the event that your estate planning is is challenged, that we be able to win that. And that means not having people there that will be disproportionately benefited things that we didn't really talk about in detail about the way you you make sure that that you you know make your your will or your your trust as bulletproof as possible and you really can do that i mean this is what you do every day mm-hmm. and and so that's one suggestion but i want you to think of this point as something separate you can still do all those things correctly and bulletproof those challenges to where you know, you're confident that they're not going to succeed, but still you end up with litigation. You end up with bad blood and people not talking and conflict, uh, whether or not it ends up in the courtroom or whether or not it succeeds. So that's what this is about, is trying to make clear that you can head off a lot of conflict. Absolutely. And you can you can really put things into your documents that communicate why you've put them there. So if you 
don't want to have a conversation with your family and you're not planning on telling them what is in your estate planning documents, then you should definitely tell your estate planning attorney that so that they can help craft something that's, you know, not the same as a letter to everyone, but at least has a few uh, different softening provisions. Cushioning the why. blow. Exactly. Um, if it wasn't what you know that they're expecting. Right. Yeah. Very good. All right. Next item. This should be a no-brainer, but as everyone has expenses and, you know, we're all deal hunters here, you know, we well, like to, yeah. so we, we really like to be careful about making sure that what we pay for is what we get. And in this case of estate planning documents, if you pay to get them automatically done online with a fill a form, and there are a couple of bigger companies that do offer this, you really are going to get what you pay for. And it may not seem very small to you. Some of the costs are, you know, it's still probably more than your car payment or something like that, but you're really neglecting to understand what is involved in a proper estate planning and what that should cost. And that can vary depending on where you live. Um, So it can be that much more enticing to get online and download a form will or or something like that and say, oh man, I've been so responsible today. I paid for this form. I filled out little boxes gosh, it doesn't look so great when I printed it out because there's four different fonts on this page, but it's done and I've notarized it and we're good to go. You know, it amazes me, Nina, that people will do that, something so significant in their life, and they're going to use some online form. And again, you get what you pay for it, and you think of the things that could absolutely go wrong by doing this. The forms can sometimes be specific by state. So I don't want to say, you know, oh, these are the same forms no matter where you're located and and they don't take into account anything that would needed to be compliant. But they really are, they aren't asking you those questions. So we've talked about what you need to communicate to your estate planning attorney. Every person even if they think their situation is very simple, has something that is unique. Every person is unique. And so when you get to sit down um, with a doctor or a lawyer or anyone, there's always something there that you need to be telling them. And if they're a good attorney, they're going to ask questions that will get that information from you in order to really provide you the best advice and the best product. And if I've gone through those online forms just to see what things you're asked, and there's a lot that's missing. Um, there have to be. Yeah. There's you know, a it's lot. the nature of an assembly line. You know, you, you know, Henry Ford made one color. <laughs> it was black, and it was a Model T, and that was it. As long as you like a Model T that's black, you're good. But, and I'm not saying it's completely that with these forms, as you point out, you know, you do have options and paragraphs they can stick in and take out. So I don't want to, to suggest that everyone is ending up with the same thing, but, but the reality is that they're just incapable of customizing your plan because that would require sitting down with you as you do every day with clients and developing a plan that's specific to you and your needs and to talk about your children, how they're going to respond and and you know all the the decision points that take place in estate planning there's just no way you can build that into a form particularly with the fact that most of those forms lean towards a will versus a trust anyway. I did see recently though a form trust and the person who brought it to me goes 
So, so I have a trust. I don't know if it's really a trust, though, because I feel like, how can it be? It doesn't make any sense, and it's so short, and it doesn't talk about any of the things I want to talk about with you today. So there was a document. It was notarized. And after looking at certain provisions of it, it technically did exist, but we did that thing we talked about by restating it, basically giving them a full new document that was dated the original date of that trust. But we're very grateful that nothing happened to this person before they redid their trust because the trust that they had was not going to fit their needs. And and two, you're adding things to your trust along the way. So if you used one of these online trust forms, Mm -hmm. you would have to, what, start from scratch and get a whole new form and... Not necessarily because the forms are so basic that anything that's changing in your situation probably isn't going to be addressed in those forms anyway. I mean, it's kind of a, it it really is, is not a complete waste of time, but it's something that no contemplation has happened. You don't get any advice on funding. I would guess that most of the ones that people have done by form, they don't have anything that's pointing towards their trust, no beneficiary designations, nothing. So it's probably just hanging out there with nothing in it, um, no assignment of the things that are in your house that no one wants to inventory after you pass away. None of those things mm-hmm. are taken care of. So you really have to at least, if you're going to use a form, at least try to consult with somebody that you know that knows anything about estate planning so that they can give you some direction. But ideally, you will find a an estate planning attorney that meets your needs, meets your budgetary needs, and get something in place that you know you, you can rely on and your family can rely on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the thing that troubles me a lot about that, and I want to pull us out of this because it's easy for for someone to think that it's kind of self-serving because if you do end up doing this properly, then you're giving money to, to Tucker Allen. So I like to think of this in terms of, of the way I would say this to a family member and have said it to a family member is it's a similar thing to divorce, but I think really in many ways, pardon the pun, a more grave subject. I mean, even though divorce is a grave subject, this is arguably of greater magnitude, depending, of course, if you have any assets. If you have no assets or you don't have children, then, you know, I, that reduces the, the calamity that can go wrong when you plan badly or don't plan. But people who decide, for example, to, um, to order forms on a divorce, I mean, it's just recklessly foolish. And I'm really impatient with that. And I feel the same way about estate planning is that um, the idea that, that you somebody would care more about saving $1,000, $2,000 or $3,000, whatever the number is, it still is, is troubling that something that represents your life, life's work, this is, you know, whatever you have in this world, great or small, you know, it's, it's the residue of your efforts in this world. And then the other thing I would refer to as your life's work are your loved ones, meaning especially if you have children. So these are relationships you've built a lifetime cultivating and, and the product of your hands and your labor. And, and what, what can be ultimately more significant about than thinking about what, what do I want to happen to those things? How do I best take care of those things or those people when I go? And then to say, well, gee, I can get this done for $300. I mean, it's it it's it's incriminating. It it's incriminating. Yeah. If I did that, I wouldn't want to admit it. 
Uh-uh. I, I, because it's saying that, look, it's true. Now, I take great care in buying a car, which is for me. So I'll, you know, I will spend hours or whatnot checking out, test driving, being sure this vehicle's better than the other, because we'll grab a, a, a number on the low end, because that's, you know, $20,000. So I'm going to be really, really, really careful with that. Same thing if you're spending, you know, $3,000 on a suit, for example. But when it comes to state planning, which encompasses that car and that suit and everything else, and as and especially these relationships, which hopefully your loved ones, yeah, which hopefully are are dear to you, and yet that you're willing to to shop and spend 150 bucks for uh, 300, even though you probably know that it's not as good for them, uh, but it's less important. I'm being maybe I sound harsh. I don't want to run my audience off. <laughs> But I, so I don't want to be, you know, it, this is a good way to reduce our numbers, but I want to be frank <laughs> with you. I just want to be frank. It, it's not, it, it wouldn't be flattering of me if I were, if I did that. I wouldn't want people to. So I think this is something that's, it's so important that, yeah, you may spend, you would spend more money if you go to a lawyer who knows what they're doing. Um, you know, you can easily spend two to 3,000 bucks. Uh, and if you have a lot of money, significant amounts of money, you can spend more than that. But the point is, I mean, it's everything. It's everything that you've worked for. So why would you not take the time to do that correctly? Now, are these online forms, are they more um, vulnerable to being legally challenged, would you say? Or? It would probably depend on the circumstances under which they were executed. So you need to be very careful when you're executing forms that you're following the laws in that state, the statutes in that state, for them to be enforceable. Most of the time that takes having two unrelated witnesses and a notary. So that's where a lot of people goof too, is they'll just, you know, sign something and go, well, they'll they'll figure it out. You know, everybody'll be fine. And like I I don't really want to truck people into a room with a notary or Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think that we're clear on that one. So what is the next item on the list of things that can go wrong in estate planning? So as far as the next thing on our list. We have a lot of clients that will come in and they are gung-ho. They are really excited and proud of themselves. And, you know, we tell them to pat themselves on the back. Like, it doesn't matter if you procrastinated up until this point. You're here now. You're ready to get your affairs in order. And so we start going through. We make very detailed notes. We find out exactly how they want their document set up. Most of the time, they will sign an engagement letter at that point. They may put a deposit down for a certain amount uh, towards that full estate plan. And then um, we start working. We get their drafts together. We either mail them out or send them electronic copies. And then we sit there going, okay, let's let, let us know what changes you have. When you what questions you have, we hope people have questions because that means they've read their documents. And then we just wait and we wait. <laughs> uh oh. So so in other words, uh, they starting they're starting but they're not completing. Correct. Yeah. Um, so there isn't really anything that I can enforce with your family with a draft document. It even has a big draft stamp on it. So if I don't hear back from someone and they don't want to come in and sign their documents or edit their documents or even review their documents because that's going to take, you know, a, 
a nice Friday evening <laughs> of, of, with a stack of paper. I realize it's a chore, but I can't complete what someone has hired me to do or, or any estate planning attorney has been hired to do until there's been an approval of the terms that are in the documents, making sure they're consistent with the intent of the person who came through. Make sure that when you were spelling out all your family's names and giving me middle initials, they're all correct. You know, just little things that I can't do for people. And then all you have to come in and do is 30 to 45 minutes to sign sign everything. I mean, we get everything. It is a nice little assembly line. Everything's tabbed. Everything's ready to go. It's not that big of a deal, but people won't come back in. And, and you know, sometimes, though, this will take the form of um, maybe a couple of meetings where this is the beautiful thing about you know, ha- having your documents custom prepared, which by definition, they always are at Tucker Allen and any good estate planning lawyer you go to, um, is that there is a lot of particularity and there are a number of decisions. So sometimes it'll it'll happen to where we'll send them the draft or you send it and then we don't hear anything for a long time and they just get distracted or they just maybe felt that, you know, they had they they had done really what's the hardest part, quite frankly, is to come into the office, you know, put down some money and make a commitment. Um, but then they get distracted. But those will often get caught eventually, meaning that they'll remind themselves or we'll continue reminding them, we'll get them back. And it, it's it's more, what I've found more vulnerable are those cases that go on for a long time where they come in several times. There are some complicated decisions to mm-hmm. make. It doesn't mean they were had necessarily a whole lot of assets. It just means that they had a very specific plan in mind and maybe they're struggling with the idea of a trustee or... Yes. Or there may be something they're waiting to hear from about a settlement of another estate or something. Blended families. Blended families, decisions. We've talked about how many decisions Mm -hmm. are involved in that. There are a lot. Yeah. So they'll often come in. It's almost like the process loses steam in their mind. You know, they start out with enthusiasm, and I get this, and they come back. Sometimes the ones I'm thinking of, they may have come back a couple times. Mm -hmm. And then just gradually, it's like they used up their energy and they don't really, you know, it's hard to get them back for those final stages. And really it's, now technically it's the client's responsibility, but I feel like it's kind of our responsibility too as lawyers. We're pretty, I can tell you, Nina, if you can't tell already, is going to be pretty assertive trying to get you back. Because what happens in all too often in those cases is the attorney goes their way, the client goes their way. The attorney has taken money, maybe all the money, depending on how the arrangements are, but more often at least half half is paid up front, for example. So the attorney is thinking, well, I notified them. You know, I sent them an email, uh, and so I've done what I can do. They're here when they're ready to come in and sign them. The other person's thinking that, well, I paid the attorney a substantial amount of money. I assume I've accomplished maybe most or some of my goals, or they're thinking maybe the lawyer is going to keep communicating. Whatever they were thinking, let's assume they die. And now it becomes a problem for the lawyer too, in a way, because the lawyer's having to explain to the family how this could happen. Now, you know, it's no satisfaction that the lawyer may have documented, you know, protected themselves. And, and of course, any good lawyer will document carefully. You know, they attempted to call Mr. Smith, you know, on these three occasions or a letter that they can show. 
But, you know, it, it leaves a lot of frustration with the family. They're not happy with the lawyers. And the worst thing about it is the family doesn't have a plan. And there are other things that can happen that are just as bad uh, when it comes to being able to finalize your documents as someone passing away. If you lag, let this lag too long, particularly you've brought your parents oh, in to I get things done, going, yeah. and then all of a sudden you get a call saying, gosh, we really need to get these these um, documents finalized. My mom just got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I'm thinking, well, six months ago, she had capacity and we had a capacity letter. Now we're going to have to go and see if the doctor will give another capacity letter. Is the Alzheimer's, you know, mild? If you just told me Alzheimer's, I'm not letting her sign anything without the sure, opinion yeah. of a physician. Sure, right. um, I want to be helpful, but there's certain limitations on what we can yeah, do. Yeah, because it would get challenged. And yeah. so we want to make sure that these documents withstand a challenge. And, you know, then that's when you start looking at the documents also to say, hey, is this going equally to all of the children? You know, how risky is this if there's some sort of intermittent issue? But now we've got another delay because they need to go back, contact the physician, get a letter. And after nothing happening on this file for six months, now they're like, hey, can we do this next week? And so we have to decide whether we can kind of drop whatever else was on our in the hopper for us at that point and prioritize this client that we haven't heard from in a very long time, sometimes up Which, to a year. Oh, at least. I mean, this is this is kind of a common phenomenon when you do estate planning. And, and, and you know, it's our job to, to scurry to excuse me, to meet our client's needs. So we do. We drop Mm -hmm. things. and But the bottom line is that this happens, it happens frequently. What we're describing to you is not unusual. And it may take the form of a stroke. Mm -hmm. I mean, where where mom was okay, and then this is dragging on and on, and then Mm -hmm. finally time goes by, and and suddenly mom, for whatever reason, is no longer, there's a question whether she can sign these documents and know fully what she's signing, which is called capacity or competence. And and uh, that, that, as you brought up very well, a very key point in that situation is what's the probability that there will be any litigation? You know, where it's a gray area on the call, then it means spending money for doctor's opinions and um, maybe doing a video in which we will interview her and, demonstrate that she's clear-headed and et cetera, because, you know, we want to prepare for the possibility that this was a gray area and somebody may complain. As long as we feel in good conscience, you know, from an ethical standpoint, we have to feel the client is competent. As long as we feel that, we next need to feel that this is something that, you know, will survive, the, the planning will survive. We have been very flexible in the past. If someone has a health issue that is not a mental health issue, that's not a deterioration that results in no capacity, if you're calling up to say, okay, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'm calling you. I know you haven't heard from me in a while, but my mom's not doing very well, and now she can't leave the house. You know, there are attorneys who will make sure that there's a mobile notary that comes out, that the attorney will come out and actually help execute those documents. We have a lot of care for our clients, regardless of how much we get to know them during that process. We understand that this is very serious, but there are limitations on what we can do. And if we can't get get a letter of capacity, then there isn't very much we can do. So the next thing they they say is, well, if I was power of attorney, I'm like, we can't sign that either. (laughs) You know, there's there's it's, really nothing yeah. we can do. It's so frustrating. And and 
as you can probably imagine, this this is not an unusual thing where where we're struggling to figure out how to get this you know this signature on a page that we know was what the client wanted, but we have to feel good that they have the capacity. The good news is that when you think of capacity in the legal realm. I think assigning a will is kind of the lowest possible standard of capacities, what case law says. Is I, it? it is, unless you have something in that will that is directing things in a very strange way, like to your caregiver or differently amongst where it's your children be and where, where it could be attacked. So they, they have to, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have to understand. And so it's not just, do you understand that you want this to, these things to go to your children? Because we can go through the bullet points of the will. Do you understand that you're currently transferring your house today to your one kid alone and not to the other kids? You know, that's, that's a little bit different of a of a bar. So we just need to be careful there. And when we're talking about what can go wrong, you know, estate planning mistakes, what is the ramification of this mistake? Well, first, it's that you can't sign those documents. But second, the result in that is that your alternative can be having to to seek a guardianship and conservatorship. And it may not even be contested by this parent or by this other individual who's, who's in your care. Um, but it's going to cost money, and it's going to cost money that's different than the money that you initially invested for those estate planning oh, documents. I mean, it, the, the whole idea is to keep you out of court and uh, have you paying lawyers as little as possible. So estate planning that's done properly will generally succeed in that. But but as, as you point out, Nina, I mean, conservatorships, guardianships, where the court has to appoint somebody to make decisions for you, that's that is just a very expensive thing. Mm-hmm. It's far more expensive, I can tell you, typically than the estate planning. And it's just money that you're paying for out of your estate that that could have been avoided. So the really the lesson on this isn't a complicated one, but it's an important one. And estate planners it can could all talk at length about this problem where people just sometimes, you know, may not get back around or be inclined to come back around to finish up what they they you know, in good faith started. And I get that. I get that. I can tell you, incidentally, I had the state planning done in St. Louis uh, separately from Tucker Allen for reasons that should be clear that, you know, it, it's, it's private. So so I used a prominent firm, a com- I'll say a competitor, um, and very reputable firm. But I was two years getting this, almost two years, getting this completed. Wow. And and this wasn't the client's problem, uh, meaning that it just was, in this case, and this could happen to you too, this didn't make it on our list because this isn't a failure on your part. Um, But but this, this is the fact that the lawyer may drag their feet in getting it done. So if you don't keep it at the forefront of your mind, if you're not driving it forward and you're counting on the lawyer to drive it forward, how common is it that that it's the lawyer who figures, well, when they're ready to go, they'll contact me, or instead the lawyer's saying, I'll get to it later, mm-hmm. and but the lawyer's not moving it forward at all and without you continually calling and pushing. And, and there are some of those cases, I'm sad to say. Mm-hmm. And now this is a reputable firm. So the firm that I'm talking about was reputable. I, my complaint is not that they, they – they're not skilled lawyers. They're, they're skilled estate planners, just like Tucker Allen. But I can just tell you that 
I think they probably had a lot on their plate and they, you know, were busy and, uh, my wife and I were continually pushing this to get it done, done, done. And it ended up being right under, just short of two years. Wow. I know. And That's it a was, long time. It was, uh, and so we we had a disagreement about the compensation too, just because we felt that, that it took longer than it should. It was a little complicated, but at the same time, we were, we were in this case, we were ready to proceed and they weren't, or, or at least... They had other things they needed to do. Some of the time was consumed with gathering documents. So it's not as if it's something they could have done, you know, even if they had wanted to in two weeks because there there was just other stuff to gather. But anyway, so th- th- this is to say that you need to be sure if you hire a lawyer and it's not Tucker Allen, you need to be sure that, that you stay on top of them to complete your work. Um because it's very easy for them to not call you. And whether it's Tucker Allen or someone else, it might be a miscommunication. You might think that your lawyers, you know, you're waiting on them. They might think, hey, I asked you this last question. Where do you want, you know, how do you want your remains disposed of? And where do you want things to go if none of your family members are living? And I can't finalize your drafts until I have these. And you forgot to give them that information or you thought you already had. So just Pick up the phone or or now for, you know, our, our younger audience, shoot an email, a text, yeah. any of those things. Reach out to your attorney. A good attorney is not going to feel bothered by communication from a client. It's important. And if you err on the side of more communication versus less, um, even if you just didn't remember when your documents were supposed to be ready and you thought it was, you know, six weeks, but it's actually eight weeks or four weeks or six weeks, you know, any of those things, no one should be offended by a question. You're the client. You deserve to know what the status is of your file. And it does seem that, mm-hmm. you know, all the points we've covered throughout, you know, these three ser- these three shows, it, it does seem to be based on failure to communicate. One or- of the reasons people fail to communicate, though, is because they if they're not on a flat rate, then they know they're going to get billed for calling up and asking what the status oh. of their documents is. So, yeah. And the good news is that uh, Tucker Allen, you, you, I, I know you do some hourly billing, but that's unusual. Mostly it's a flat. Correct. For all estate planning purposes, we're at a flat rate. For probate, guardianships, things of that nature that you just don't know how long things are going to take. And there's always something new uh, that crops up to complicate it. It's very difficult to do a flat rate. But when possible, we one of the major reasons that we do a flat rate, a published flat rate, one that we aren't changing based on if you come in and you sound like your, your stuff's too complicated, is that we don't want to inhibit people during that process for asking questions, for reviewing their documents and wanting to have a second meeting if it's warranted, mm-hmm. for calling up and telling me something new about their documents. And if you give an estimate at the beginning, but then you have all of these extra things, extra time that was not anticipated, you could end up with a much larger bill if the attorney doesn't write it down to somewhere around that estimate. So you, you're kind of hanging out there waiting to find out how much you're going to pay. And if you know up front, then you feel free to pick up the phone. So uh, this is a good segue, I think, to your next point. It is. If I read it correctly. Mm -hmm. So our last point 
on this because we've assumed that you have not delayed. You have come in, you have signed your documents, you've left with a beautiful binder, you've started doing all of your funding because we sit down at that signing meeting and talk about all of the funding we we spoke about on a prior show. Um, So everything is pointed towards your trust. It's nicely buttoned up. You feel the most responsible you've felt in your whole life. And then something changes about your situation something changes about what you want, um, something that you forgot to ask a question about during that initial representation pops into your head. There's a change in the law and you may get a letter from your estate planning attorney informing you about that or an email. Mm -hmm. Um, And you are just like, gosh, you know, it really did take me this many meetings to get my estate planning documents done. And I really, you know, I like my attorney okay. They're fine. They're they're moderately pleasant to deal with. But I don't want to do any more estate planning, and I don't want to be billed anymore, and I don't want to deal with this. I've got enough phone calls to make. So you just don't follow up. And, you, and so your situation has now changed, possibly, but your documents have stayed the same. And this mm-hmm. can go on. For decades, I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it is asking, uh, it's asking really too much of your plan that that you can come up with, um, you know, some wonderful ideas and capture them and have some flexibility, incidentally. I mean, you we build a flexibility, so it's not as if it's so fragile that if anything changes in your life, you have to run and get it changed. Absolutely not. You can have a great deal of elasticity within the language of your plan. Yeah. And, that, and we really are very focused on making sure that we can do that to the greatest extent of the current laws, um, of tax laws, and of your family situation. We ask what things may change. We say, you know, are you pretty set on these things? Or is there something that may change in your circumstance in the future? But we, you know, we come back to that five-year rule, mm-hmm. no more than 10 before you should be sitting down and just having a status conference, a state of the union on your estate plan. Right. Yeah. I, I've heard um, some some people have suggested an annual touch base. I often think that that's, you know, it could be that your life changes that way. But but for most of us, I'm thinking every couple years. But like you said, five years, some people use that. The bottom line is that things do change and that um, you want your plan to be written in such a way to allow as much, as you said, elasticity. That's a good word, meaning it, it'll stretch when things change and still achieve your goals. Most of the time, if you have a new child, your plan will not need to be edited in some way. Oh, that's a good example. Not. Yeah, but you you know let us congratulate you on yeah. your new child and check in and how you're doing and make sure there isn't anything specific about that new child. Was the child born with disabilities? Are are there things that are happening with your family situation that are going to present new challenges for you? Um, and so that's all of this was very private to begin with. So we've already had we already have a lot of details about your personal life, and so going back to somebody that you've already become comfortable with, or even a new attorney, to mm-hmm. say there's something drastic that's happened. Um, you know, I've moved, and I have a trust, and I'm pretty sure this trust was executed in my prior state. And now I'm not sure what of my documents are good and which ones aren't. And I've been delaying it. So when did you move? Three years ago, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's okay because 
communication is key. And if you were with this firm previously and you go back into the same firm and you want to check in, there's a good chance you're not going to get charged anything for that initial phone call or consultation. We have plans that people can come back on an annual basis to sit down and talk about things and and even um, plans that allow for some changes, minor changes to be made to those documents if your situation has changed, just to keep people on their toes, to keep those documents on their toes and valid and relevant and reflecting the situation that is currently going on and reflecting your current intent. Yeah, yeah. And what it really means, though, is that we have a relationship with you versus a transaction. And, you know, with, with a domestic relations lawyer, for example, it's more of a transaction, meaning that you hope that you're not continually touching base with your divorce lawyer over many decades. About <laughs> I mean, as you life. might need a new prenuptial agreement. Yeah, you know? it, yeah and, it's we'll po- and we do. And Cordell and Cordell does have regular customers. <laughs> but but still, the whole idea is that divorce is kind of transactional, like mm-hmm. a lot of legal matters. Sure. But estate planning, it's true that you, you, you know, there is this main event where you get a document prepared. But, you know, the fact is that your life is going to change. Hopefully, this, you'll have decades to go after you've prepared this plan. And that over that, those decades, it's just, it's almost inevitable that something will develop that you didn't anticipate and that might affect the way you want to handle your affairs. It could be that you want to select somebody different to be a trustee. Um, It could be that you want to change the person who has the durable power of attorney for you. Maybe somebody moved out of town and you want somebody locally. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things are self-correcting, like a divorce uh, there's a statute that says that it, if you get divorced, then it'll automatically will not allow somebody to inherit under intestate succession, mm-hmm. and it would automatically change a will provision too. Yes, there's a presumption there yeah. if the divorce was finalized, not if it was filed. So ah. if you are in the period of separation or beginning the process of a divorce, it is imperative to have someone look over your documents. And like I said, a lot of times, even if we didn't prepare those documents, we're happy to take a look at them and say, you know, give you our opinion as to whether there are some changes that need to be right. made there to protect things. Yeah. And these changes, incidentally, it may cost little to nothing. Often it's a change of a name. So we often tell clients, look, if we did your estate planning, if we have you in our system, you know, it, it's not redrafting a document like it did was 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, but if your documents were done 70 years ago, we're going to definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I mean, but it, if there are documents that are relatively recent, that's one of the things that we offer with our legacy protection plan is going in. You know, we still have to have a new, we can't scratch anything out. Uh, please don't scratch anything <laughs> out on your documents <laughs> and write anybody else's name in. But if you need to have them re-executed and, you know, we can print them, date them, schedule a meeting so that we have witnesses available to you. This is something that may not be very expensive and it doesn't hurt our feelings if it's something that is more expensive and you're not ready to do it, but at least you know where your vulnerabilities lie. Yeah. You need to ask. Yeah. You need it, to make that phone call. Yeah, it's just uh, it's really about having a mentality that says, you know, once I've chosen this person, this firm, and with Tucker Allen you're choosing a firm, once I've chosen this firm to handle my estate planning affairs, then you're making a long-term decision. That's the mentality to have versus I hired them to prepare these 
particular documents for me. You, you really need to think of your estate planning firm as a firm that, that you're going to communicate with periodically the rest of your life. And that may not cost you more money. I, we keep Correct. emphasizing that because mm-hmm. divorce lawyers, that. I have to, you know, I have to tell you, divorce lawyers bill hourly, and I don't like that system. Uh, it, I wish there were a way for us to do a flat fee, but we've thought about it a lot. We continue to think about it, but it's very difficult to do it. So w- whenever you call your divorce lawyer or your your litigation lawyer, those they're going to charge you. And if you're on the phone 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour of their rate. And if you're on the phone an hour, et cetera. So that's the way that works. Uh, well, some people may do that with estate planning. Some firms do, but Tucker Allen, you know, our standard approach to a client is that it's not hourly. It's as as Nina said, you know, you pay a flat fee. And now sometimes clients will want to do something hourly if we're doing estate administration or mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Trust administration and and things that maybe after one spouse has passed away, they want some different things done. And yeah. again, when we can, we we try to get a flat rate in there. But sometimes it's hourly. But even with that, we're extremely competitive, and we have people who are on a paralegal level as well who can handle a lot of those things. So we we focus on the relationship with the client and making sure of what they need and particularly if they were an estate planning client of ours, it is really a priority for us to make sure that we are keeping things reasonable for that family. We helped you to preserve your assets. And then going forward during that administrative period, we want things to go the way that you planned, the way that matches your intent. Yeah. And and so um, as a standard rule, you'll not be charged whenever you call and say, gee, I, I'm wondering if this change in my life is something that we should talk about. And we don't even charge for an, an office visit per se. It depends on, do you want us to do something for you? Does something need to be done? And often it doesn't. And even if it does, I just want to be clear on this. Um, because we have the word processing capabilities today, for law firms to be charging a substantial or significant even amount of money to change a name, that that in reality they're doing this through through their you know they have a digital copy mm-hmm. and they go yeah. on and, and change it where it's not really that big of a deal yeah so it it's just not right but Correct. people still do it as if this were 1975 so we don't do that I mean if it's something that simple you know it's done it's easy um, that's part of our relationship so we we know that you'll only come to us regularly and talk to us regularly and. And let us continue to be your state planning attorneys as long as you think you don't get dinged every time you call <laughs> us. Uh, and we have done things in the past. I don't know if we've done it this year where we would have an event. We'd invite our clients to mm-hmm. some educational we have, event. We're, we're starting to get past that whole COVID oh, thing yeah. where people are we're not having as many events. And so we've had some you know outdoor things and we're starting to do some more educational events. And, and people who are part of kind of our our inner circle, our legacy protection plan members, um, which is nominal um, and allows us to do all kinds of funding and new deeds if you get a vacation home and there's all kinds of perks, notary services, all of those things. But we really want to keep you abreast of any of the Mm -hmm. things that are happening with the law, new tips that we've come up with to handle things, um, new things about insurance and, and things like that and how that interacts with your estate plan. So making sure that you are on the mailing list for your firm, communicating as often as you think is appropriate with your firm, and then being uh, being responsive if they reach out to you and say, hey, we've looked at this law, we've looked at your estate plan, we think there may be an issue, we've got 
an option A and an option B for how to deal with it. I mean, this is there, there's a lot of care that goes on to this ongoing representation. So much different than a, a divorce. It was it's more akin to having you know your primary care physician. You may not go in all the time. Um, you may have this regular check-in, but if something has changed and you're not exactly sure how it affects things for you, you'll usually let them know. Right. So we, we want people to communicate with us and that's why we are very open. Our staff is, is very open to having these conversations. If somebody's on the phone for a little while with with your mother or something like that, and, and she wants to talk about all of her grandkids. We've got some really great family stories out of prior clients, and, and that's okay. You know, we really want to make sure that we'd rather err on the side of too much communication versus not enough, and, yeah. and she's not going to get a bill from our firm for calling up and saying, you know, I've got more grandkids or somebody graduated from a great college and, you know, how are we going to take care of their stuff? Or did you know that uh, he's a doctor now? You know, stuff yeah. like that. It's great because that's really kind of going into that whole family tree and offering this comprehensive representation. So just don't be afraid to pick up the phone, to shoot me an email, to, to send a text message, you know, whoever you're dealing with, whoever's handling your affairs. If you don't have somebody who is offering you that comprehensive approach and not getting out uh, a calculator every single time they hear from you, right. um, you know, you then you need to find somebody who does. So if you're not in a, a jurisdiction that we service currently, find some, you know, get a recommendation from someone. Ask your friends these questions of how often have you spoken to this person? Are, you know, are they at, still at this firm? Are they uh, somebody that would recognize you if you walked through the door? This is important. Yeah, and 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 it's important for the firm to be around too. So, Tucker Allen has been around a while, and and it's not you know a particular lawyer necessarily that you're hiring. Um, you may have a particular lawyer that works with you there, but still, the good news is you're hiring the firm, and it's a firm that will continue to be here. And it you don't worry about the person that's done your estate planning retiring because you know all your records, everything is maintained by Tucker Allen. So it's essential when you have a long-term relationship. It wouldn't be essential if this were a transaction, um, if you were hiring us to be represent you in a particular legal matter. You wouldn't care about that. But when you're picking somebody to do your estate planning, you do need to care about that. Yeah. You need to care about— That they're going to be around. Yeah, that, that, you know, it may be that they'll be called upon to, to answer questions— Sometimes even in courts, depending on whether waivers and whatnot are granted. And uh, that may not occur for 20, 25 years down the road. So it's just important to follow up and stay in contact with the firm. And that firm needs to be one that you can have confidence will still be there. So... um, did we get through your list? I think we did. did. We, keep it? we finished this series. My goodness. So I think we kept it to eight items. Aaron, do we keep that to eight items, we think? All right. So Aaron tells us we have it on eight items. So uh, this will be posted in the three segments. Some of you may have already seen the first two. So this will be the final segment. But we'll be doing additional series that, that relate to estate planning. But our goal is is to not make this an infomercial. We want you to know about Tucker Allen for sure. But but we know that if you don't get value, if you don't watch this and 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 hear things that are new and interesting to you and helpful, you're not going to come back. So 
as much as we want to sit here and just talk about Tucker Allen, I promise you we won't do that. No. You know, we're going to we're going to continue to give you useful, practical information, things that you would often pay a lawyer for, but thankfully you can hear some ideas from us that that would be helpful to you. So anyway, till next time, this has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till then, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.